Father God, we just love you so much. I, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word. This is a, it's a holy time, Father. And my prayer, Father, is that during this moment, during this time, that you would be glorified through me. I thank you for the words that you've given me. I thank you for the scriptures, stories, and illustrations. Lord, I ask that you help me to share with accuracy and that your word would penetrate the heart of your people. Lord, and it would... Um, cause us to take action, cause us to take next steps in our walk with you, and cause us to continue to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, the last two weeks, my husband laid out the why we serve and the heart of a servant. And you know, I, anything that I choose to do, I always want to go back and find out what the word says right? That's, that needs to be the basis. And so he's laid out for us pretty clearly about why we should choose to serve in the word. And it just got me thinking about church in general and the reason that we do what we do. And you know, everything that we do um, from coming into this building to starting our time together, praising God, to uh, being in the presence of God in worship, to worshiping the Lord with our tithes and our giving, to hearing the word, to the time we spend together in life groups, everything that we're doing is about our transformation. It's about moving us forward so that we become more like Jesus. And that's what Christianity is about. It's supposed to be about me becoming more and more like Jesus. Amen? It's not about my own desire or preferences. It's not about what's convenient for me. It's about me moving forward in my walk with him. You know, Jesus didn't say, attend me. He said, follow me. And so I was thinking about that, and I was thinking of just my own journey and my own history with the church. You know, I grew up in the church. Uh, My parents uh, raised us in the church. My parents were super involved in our early years. My dad was an elder. My mom served in the children's ministry. We did small groups. I vividly remember being, you know, 11, 12, 13 years of age and being thrown in the back rooms of our house with, you know, a bunch of other kids and having to manage chaos because my parents were leading a small group. And, um, and. And I so appreciate uh, that my parents placed an emphasis on being a part of the body. We weren't, we weren't lone rangers. We were contributing members of our church. And so um, over the last 40 years, uh, and I have, to, I have to say 40, I have to get that in there because I only have five more days to say 40. Um, where's my husband? That was going to be his reminder. Like, my birthday is coming up. But um, so in in the last 40 years, I've been a part of 10 churches and in a on staff or an integral part of eight churches. So I've been around um, when it comes to being a part of the church, seeing the church, being involved in a church. And I've learned a few things. And first and foremost, what I've learned is there's no perfect church. There's no perfect church. Um, In fact, there's no perfect organization. There's no perfect government. There's no perfect system. Nothing is perfect. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect leader. There's no perfect president. There's no perfect anyone except for Jesus Christ. Amen? And and there's no savior but him. Amen? And so I I was thinking of all my experiences in church, and um, not all of it has been wonderful. Not all of it has been great. I've seen... um, the negative side of some things. But I have to tell you that no matter what my experience has been, I firmly believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I firmly believe uh, that the church is not man's idea, but it's God's idea. 
And church is a place where we're supposed to come together, where we're supposed to learn, where we're supposed to grow, we're supposed to develop in our relationship with the Lord, we're supposed to move forward in our walk with Him, uh, we're supposed to connect with one another. You know, when we serve together, um, it's iron sharpens iron, right? When we serve together, some of our rough edges can, can be... Um, rubbed off, right? When we serve together, um, sometimes our insecurities come out. Sometimes some of our own selfishness comes out, right? And when, we, when we're in these opportunities we have of serving one another, uh, we can kind of see some, maybe some of the areas of our life that have yet to be transformed, to be quite like Christ. And so I firmly believe um, in the local church and our purpose, and I'm so thankful to be a part of this church, you know, I think one of the things that um, has happened over the course of time is we've placed a lot of emphasis on what we do and our actions. You know, remember the whole, um, what would Jesus do, WWJD, and it, and it was good in its inception, but you know, in everything, we can sometimes tend to go to, into a ditch, right, to the right or to the left. And I think we've placed such an emphasis on action and, and um, what we do that we have um, neglected the heart, of why we do what we do. We've neglected the heart of Jesus. And you know, Jesus, serving is not what Jesus did. Jesus was a servant. It's who he was. It's not, it wasn't just actions, it's who he was. And I was thinking about all of the amazing, um, I've had the opportunity to serve some amazing men and women of God in, in over the course of my time. And I was thinking of uh, my time at Decision Ministries in Port Orange, Florida. I worked for an organization called Decision Ministries, and we uh, were an organization that um, ministered to young people. So we did youth camps. We, we held youth camps in Florida. We went and did camps overseas in Guatemala and Peru and Canada and Spain. We planned mission trips so that churches could contact us and we would take their young people overseas. Uh, we did um, youth conferences, youth ministry conferences, where we taught how to do youth ministry. And we had the best time. And uh, I remember the, the man who founded that organization, his name is Ray Bois, and we called him PR, Pastor Ray. And PR had this call on his life to reach the next generation. And I loved serving him. He had just an incredible pace. And um, I, liked, I liked to go, go, go at that time. I was in my early 20s. And so it was like, let's go. When's our next trip? Where, when's our next camp? What are we doing? When's our next conference? And I loved being able to put those on and organize those and take kids and and so in addition to having Decision Ministries, PR was also the associate pastor of his father's church there in Port Orange. And so he had a lot on his plate. Um, he was married, he had associate pastor, he's doing this worldwide ministry of reaching students. And um, he was, he's one of the greatest servant leaders I've ever had the privilege of, of knowing and serving. You know, there, <clears throat> there was a time I remember very vividly where something had happened and whoever was cleaning the church wasn't able to do it for an extended period of time. And so we said, hey, we'll all get together and we'll, we'll make a schedule and we'll help clean the church. And so Pastor Ray was the first one to say, hey, put me on the schedule. And we were like, what? You, you have a million things to do. We're not going to put you on the schedule. And his response was, guys, nothing is beneath me. This is, this is who we are. I'm, I'm a servant. Put me on the schedule. And it marked me because it showed me that 
he modeled for me so much, I believe, the heart of Jesus, right? The heart of Jesus to be a servant that nothing was beneath him. And there was nothing too little. There was nothing um, that wasn't worth his time. So let's look at Mark 10. <coughs> Turning to the side doesn't help when you have a mic on your face. Sorry. Mark 10, 42 through 45. Jesus called them together, them being the disciples, and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Pierre could have flaunted his authority, right? He could have said, no, I've got too much to do, too many other important things to do with my time. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's read that again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. All right? So if we know that we should serve, if we know that we are servants, what keeps us from doing something that we know is right? Because that's the bottom line, right? What keeps us from doing something that we know is right? So we're going to wade right in here. And I'm going to tell you, these are are the things that I think that keep us from doing what we know is right. First and foremost, we don't want to, right? We just don't want to. You know, I have an uh, almost eight-year-old, a -a three-and-a-half-year-old, and a 21-month-old. Do you know that the phrase I hear the most right now in my home is, I don't want to, right? It's time to clean our room. I don't want to. Okay, let's help clear the table. I don't want to, right? (coughs) Sorry. So I hear we don't want to, and I respond very often with, but I didn't ask you what you want, right? This is the instruction I'm giving you. And I say, we can do hard things. Let's look at Matthew 26, 39. This is Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go to the cross. He knows what's coming. He knows his destiny. He knows the process. He knows the future. He knows that once he dies on the cross, he's only going to be dead for three days and he's going to rise again. He knows what's going to happen on the other side of what's coming. He's praying. He throws himself on the ground. He throws himself upon the ground on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and as you desire. Not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and as you desire. You know, sometimes I think that when we think of Jesus, we don't see the fullness of what was going on. We think that maybe he had some kind of um, special anointing or something where he didn't feel the weight of what was going on or he didn't feel the sorrow of what was going on or he didn't feel the pain of what was happening. But you know, this scripture to me makes it really clear. Jesus knew everything and he still said, if it's possible, 
let this cup pass away from me. In other words, if it's at all possible, I'd rather not do this. I'd rather not be the one that goes to the cross. I'd rather not be the one that gets, gets beaten and whipped, right? I'd rather not be the one that gets nailed to the cross. If, if, there was, if there's another way, Lord, could we just do the other way? Because I don't really want to do this. But in the end, what does he say? Not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and as you desire. See, I think sometimes we love the idea of Jesus, but we hate the words of Jesus. Because the words of Jesus, they cause us and they tell us that we need to deny our flesh, right? The words of Jesus are continually um, um, propelling us forward, helping us follow him to be fully devoted followers of him, to be disciples. And in doing that, we have to deny our flesh. We have to choose to do what is right, not what is convenient. And I have to tell you that serving is not always convenient. Being a servant is not always convenient. Anything with eternal consequence is going to have earthly sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but I want to have eternal consequence. I want um, to be known for affecting eternity. And so in doing so, I'm going to have to give up some things. I'm going to have to sacrifice some things. So what is a, one reason that we don't choose to serve? We just don't want to, right? But I think Jesus has shown us, if we're following him, I think he's given us a great example here. Amen. Number two, we think we don't have time, right? We think we don't have time. I'm going to bust that a little bit here, all right? Now, listen, this is, they've taken the averages of the average American here in the United States, okay? So I know not all of you are average. I know not all of these uh, statistics will apply to you exactly, but let's look at what we have going on here. Everyone has 8,760 hours in a year, okay? We all have that amount. If you spend 40 hours a week working, you have 2,080 hours of your time spent working in the year. That's 23% of your time. I know some people work more jobs than that. I know if you're a stay-at-home mom, it's actually 365 days, 24 hours a week. 24 hours a day, seven hours a week. I totally get it. But for the purpose of this exercise, okay, 40 hours a week, 23% of your time, all right? Over 2,900 hours of our time is spent sleeping if you get eight hours of sleep a night. Now listen, if you have babies or toddlers, you're not getting eight hours of sleep a night. So I'm just gonna go on record and say that one I don't identify with. But in general, if you get eight hours of sleep a night, 33% of your time is spent sleeping. Over 1,700 hours is spent on leisure. It's 20% of your time. That could be visiting with friends, that could be watching TV, that could be binge watching your shows, whatever it might be. 742 hours are spent on housework and shopping, which is a little over 8% of your time. 730 hours spent eating, drinking, personal care. That's a little over 8% of your time, all right? So you can see how much of your time is filled in, and we haven't gotten to church yet. All right, if you came to one service every single weekend in a year, you would spend 61 hours of your year 
in church. That is 0.69% of your time. That's if you had perfect attendance, 0.69% of your time. The average person, and the average person at IFC, comes twice a month. That means 0.34% of your time is spent attending church. If you were to serve twice a month with your team, if you were on a dream team, roughly 120 hours of your year would be spent serving. That's 1.3% of your time, plus or minus depending on the team you are on. Let's throw in another 120 hours for team gatherings, outings, training, if you have to prepare in order to serve, whatever that might look like, 1.3% of your time. Again, plus or minus, depending on the level of involvement that you're in in your team. If you were to be a part of life groups and attend a life group each semester that met every other week, you would spend 65 hours of your time in community in a life group, and that's 0.74% of your time. That adds up to 4% of your year being spent connected to the body, enjoying community, and serving. Just 4% of your time spent pursuing discipleship. For reference, the average person spends two and a half hours on social media a day, which means 9% of your time is spent on social media. There is a really cool feature on the iPhone that will give you a weekly screen report and tell you exactly how much time you're spending on your phone, right? And when you start seeing six hours, four hours, three and a half hours, let me tell you, you found your time right there. You can actually set limits on your phone and say, no, I'm not going to spend any more than, I've got mine set right now, I'm not spending any more than one hour a day on all my social media apps. So when I'm done with that hour, it grays them out, and then it doesn't let me in until the next day. We have to take back our time. So what I want you to see here, this is not for condemnation. This is not, like I said, I know that everyone um, doesn't fall neatly into this category, these categories like this. But what I want you to see is that it is possible to serve. It is possible to give of your time. Because I firmly believe that serving is a part of our growth and maturity and development as a disciple. So we have to put the important things on the calendar first. So third and final reason, why don't we choose to serve? I think another reason is we don't see the point. A good measure of our spiritual health is the depth of concern we have for others. I think that sometimes we have, it's too ethereal. We don't really see how what we're going to do is going to help someone else. But, you know, when everyone collectively gives, it helps us make something happen. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or an excuse for selfishness. But through love, you should serve one another. Whenever you serve, you get to be a part of the miracle. That miracle of someone coming in and hearing the gospel and turned changing from darkness to light. That someone who, someone's eternity is affected and you get to take part in that. So now what? So now we, we know that the word says we should choose to serve. We've learned that there's really no excuse not to. So I want to cover just real quickly what we expect from you and then what you can expect from us as a church. 
First, what we expect from you is to truly commit, even when it isn't convenient and you don't feel like it. We have some of the greatest dream teamers here at IFC. We have men and women. We have nurses and medical professionals who work overnight shifts and then show up to serve with a smile on their face. We have people who have, have had their cars break down or have things come up, and instead of calling out, they call Uber and they pay their own way to get themselves to church, to honor their commitment, and to fulfill their service. We have people who uh, are choosing to serve through their mess. Things at home are not perfect. Things in their personal lives are not perfect, but they're not letting that keep them from choosing to come and be a part of the miracle. So... Yeah, I think they deserve a huge round of applause. We have some of the most committed people here at IFC. When you serve, we expect you to serve as if you're serving Jesus himself. To be on time, to give whatever your role and responsibility is, to give it your all, give it your best. You know, it's hard to serve with someone when they act like them being there and serving that they're doing you a favor, right? And again, if, if, the, if this is all about not our actions but our heart, then the heart should never be, well, I'm doing you a favor, right? The heart is never, well, I'm, you're inconveniencing me so much. The heart is, I get to do this. I get to serve. This is who I am. It's not just what I do. And lastly, we expect you to love others more than you love yourself. More than personal preferences and desires, we recognize that everyone is coming with some kind of baggage. Everyone has been through junk. Everyone needs grace. Everyone needs mercy. Everyone needs someone to come alongside them to help hold them accountable or to help walk them through difficult situations. You know, when you love others more than you love yourself, then when you look at the team and the system and the structure, you don't look at something and say, well, really, I don't really like the way we do this. So if you could change this then it would fit me better, right? We don't change our roles and responsibilities to fit us better. Everything we do, we want to glorify Jesus, but everything we do is to help move people forward in their walk with him. Everything we do is to help that people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. All right, so that's what we expect from you. Now, here's what you can expect from us. You can expect when you serve at IFC that we're not building, that we are building great people, not filling positions. That means you matter as an individual. It means it's not just about filling a role, but it's about character development. It means we're willing to have hard conversations. It means we are willing to hold people to a standard, and it means growth for all of us. It means that we do our utmost best to not burn people out. And it means that when we ask how you're doing, you have to respond more than with more than just, fine, I'm good, right? If we're going to serve together, we've got to let each other in and know, like, this is what's going on. Because when we do that and when we reveal what's happening in our lives, then someone can come alongside us and help us walk through difficult situations. Someone could come alongside us and say, you know what, that is whatever the situation, that's hard and that's difficult and that's horrible. 
Let's pray together right now. Let's, let, me, let me do something to encourage you. Let's go to lunch. Let's go grab coffee. What do you need? Can I come watch your kids for you? Like, if, if we don't share what's going on in our lives, then we can't be there for one another. And that's part of what we want when you serve on a team. We want to help build great people, not just fill positions. What you can expect from us is that we're going to take your little and make it a lot. I just showed you right? Less than 4% of your time. It's, if, you're, if you're serving, it's like 2%, right? Of your time in a year spent serving. We can take that. We can take everyone's 2% and do so much with it. Your 2% helps make something like a Sunday right now. It, it makes it happen. We couldn't do it without your 2%. Serve day coming up. I can have all the projects going on in the world. But if I don't have people serving, then we're not able to affect our communities, right? If we're not able to make a difference, we're not being the hands and feet of Jesus. So we can take your little and we can make it a lot. Your serving moves the vision of this house forward and it enables us to love our communities love this nation and love the world as Jesus instructed us to. And lastly, we commit to equip you. You know, it says in the word that it's our job to equip uh, the believers for the work of the ministry. And it's our job to equip you, not just to do your task, but in being a leader and being a disciple. We recognize that it's more than just teaching someone to do a task. We recognize that we've got to walk alongside you and help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we're working on systems and programs to help us develop and build people to a greater level. So what you can expect from us, we're gonna build great people and not fill positions. We're gonna take your little and make it a lot, and we're gonna equip you. Now listen, your church attendance isn't the most important thing. Your tithing isn't the most important thing. Ultimately, the most important thing is your transformation. The most important thing is that we are becoming more like Jesus because the byproduct of a changed, transformed heart is one who wants to be in the house of God, one who wants to give of their time, talent, and treasure because they trust God, one who wants to be a participator and not a spectator because they want someone else to have the opportunity to experience the presence of God, the word of God, and the family of God just like they have. If this isn't happening, then we aren't fulfilling our purpose as a church. If this isn't happening, there is no reason to exist. I want to invite you to serve with us because every team would be better with you on it. Listen, I don't know any other way to live than to live as a servant. If, I, if I'm saying that I'm a disciple of Jesus and I want to truly follow him, he set this example and that he laid down his life for those who didn't love him, for those who didn't choose him, in fact, for those who hated him, for those who spoke out against him, ultimately for those who would end up killing him. And if that's my example, then who am I to not say, there's gonna be elements of life where I'm going to have to deny my flesh. I'm gonna to have to say, this isn't convenient, this isn't what I want, but my highest priority is to be a disciple of Jesus. It's why I'm here. 
You know, can I tell you um, that it was not my greatest dream to live in New England? I just gonna, I don't know if you know that about me or not. Um, I actually love palm trees and 80 degrees is the perfect temperature year round. Spent a lot of time in Florida, Sunshine State, 360 days out of the year. It could rain and the sun could be shining brightly at the same time. I love that. I even miss the humidity, people. Okay? I know, I know, I know. It wasn't my greatest desire. But my greatest desire, my dream, was John 6.38. In John 6.38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father who sent me. And so when I read that at 16, and I was trying to figure out what my purpose was, and I was trying to figure out where I was going to go to college, and I was trying to figure out what my next steps in life were, and the Lord illuminated that verse to me. I, that was it. I was like, okay, this is, what, this is what was good enough for Jesus. This is good enough for me. Lord, I just want to do whatever you want me to do. And I've lived that way from that moment. And I remember I had just finished reading The Challenge of Missions by Oswald J. Smith, and I, I, was, gonna go to a, I was going to a mission school the summer after I graduated from high school. And, and I said, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. India, Philippines, Africa, I will go wherever you want me to go. And I was, I was ready. And over the course of time, I've gone on many missions trips and been able to go overseas many times, and it's been awesome. But do you know, I never imagined in my wildest dreams that he would send me to New England, right? I didn't know New England existed, right? Like, I didn't know that, that, that that's even what that part of the country was called, to be honest with you, okay? And so when we felt that tug on our hearts and when we knew what the Lord was calling us to do, man, I, I had to count the cost, right? I had to say, Lord, this is not what I was expecting. This is not what I was anticipating. I just had a baby boy. I'm going to have kids. I want to be with my sisters. I've got three younger sisters. We've got 12 kids between us. I want my kids to be with their cousins. This is not the way I envision spending my life. But not my will, Lord. My will is to do the will of my Father, the one who sent me. And you know, I said earlier, there is no perfect church. But the perfect church for you is the one that God has called you to and planted you in. And no matter what happens, when he's planted you in a body, when you choose to commit, when you choose to put roots down, when you choose to give of yourself, of your time and your talent and your treasure, there is an anchor there that is not there without the church. There is a community of believers who will come alongside you no matter what situation or circumstance you may be going through, no matter what season of life is. Can I tell you that a healthy church isn't a lone pastor ministering to a group of people. It is a group of people ministering to the world. All of us, collectively, giving of our time, giving of our gifts, giving of our treasure together, together. Listen, there's no one, no one is superior or inferior to anyone in this place. All of us are looking to have our hearts transformed. 
All of us are looking to follow Jesus to a greater degree. We may be at different areas and seasons in our walk, but that's the beauty of being a part of this house with so many generations, with people who I've never been, I've never been in a church this mature where you have people in one single house for 30 years and 20 years and 15 years. People who could tell you, listen, I haven't loved every moment. I haven't loved everything. I haven't always agreed with everything, but God planted me here. He anchored me here. And I'm going to give and contribute because I see the vision and I know what the Lord wants to do through his church. And I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to move it forward because I want people to know Jesus like I know Jesus. We're called to be servants inside the church, outside the church, in our own homes, in our relationships, in our friendships. It's one of the, I love Serve Day. I love that we do this and, and we're going to, we're going to do it more than one day a year. But man, I, I love that we have this opportunity to go and to be in our communities. We're going to be in Lawrence. We're going to be in North Reading. We're going to be in North Andover. We're going to be in Andover. We're going to be just all through our communities. And I would ask you to serve with us. I, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you that by now all the sexy projects are gone. Uh, uh, everyone filling the backpacks, the people making the sandwiches and feeding the homeless, like all those uh, um, really, those kind of projects are gone. What what we need now is uh, a lot of people who are willing to be in yards. People who are willing to, you know, a lot of these organizations we're going to, like Place of Promise and um, the Pregnancy Care Center, all of their funds, like Pregnancy Care Center, all of their funds go to help women with unplanned pregnancies. They don't have the finances to, you know, beautify their property or to make their homes an inviting place. And so we're going to go do that. We're going to go mow lawns and pull weeds and paint buildings. And we're going to plant flowers and we're going to make things beautiful because they're a representation of the body of Christ. We're going to go to Place of Promise and Lowell. Listen, Ms. Beth, She's an amazing woman. She has given 50 years of her life to helping people who are bound in addiction. 50 years of her life in the Lowell area. That woman has some stories. You need to go just to meet her. Because when you meet her, you'll think, I have met Jesus in human form. But they have four homes, and these four homes are over 100 years old. They need TLC. And again, the funds that are coming into them, they use those to help people find freedom. So we're going to go, and we're going to make those homes beautiful. We're going to make those yards beautiful. Amen? I want to invite you to serve with us, whether it's serve day, serve day, yes, but also by joining a team. Listen, you're going to find life. You're going to find community. You're going to find connection. You're going to be able to work out some of the kinks in your own heart. And we're going to do something incredible for the kingdom of God together. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Father. I thank you for this, this body of believers. I thank you for this group of people that you've called to this house. Lord, what a privilege and an honor it is to serve them. I thank you, Father, that everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, that they know first and foremost how much you love them that you have a plan and purpose for their life, and that they have gifts that they can use to help bring others to Jesus. I thank you, Father, 
that we are moving forward and becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus together. In Jesus' name, amen.